Well, even though the stores have been decorated since before August, we in our home don't decorate until Thanksgiving break. And when we do, we turn the lights on, the Christmas tree on, and we haven't turned them off yet. And it's so great to wake up in the morning, at least when I wake up, it's like pre-dawn, dark outside, and the living room is lit up. Turn the fireplace on. It's about 68, 72 degrees outside, so it's kind of hot inside, but setting the mood. The Christmas tree originated in 16th century Germany, and legend has it that Martin Luther, once a Catholic priest, leader of the Protestant Reformation, was outside one December night, cold, crisp, dark night, working out his sermon in his mind, looking up through the trees and noticed the beauty of the night sky, and had the mindset to cut down a tree and take it inside his home and fill its branches with candles. Christmas tree was brought to the States in the 1700s, but prior to that, brought by German immigrants, prior to that, in 1659, the General Court of Massachusetts looked down upon the public celebration of Christmas. It was okay in church, but we don't do that outside of church. And if they caught you spreading Christmas cheer, you could be fined five shillings. It was not until 1850 when newspapers ran this print of the royal family gathered around a Christmas tree that because of this social media, <laughs> Christmas trees became the norm in the States. Fast forward to 1931, the first Christmas tree ever was set up in Rockefeller Plaza in New York City. In 1982, Pope John Paul II put up the first Christmas tree in the Vatican Square. I don't think that's 82, but it's replicated of it. It's highly likely that Jesus was not born during this time of year, the month of December. 100% degree accuracy, it wasn't December 25th. But our church fathers had the mindset, the thought and conviction that the winter solstice was the best time of year to get in touch with the reason for the season of Advent. The evergreen Christmas tree represents life in the midst of that season of death and dormancy. The lights on the Christmas tree during the dark, dead, cold nights of winter are symbolic of the comings of Christ who came once. He comes repeatedly and Jesus is coming back. Let's go darker for just a moment. Author and Episcopal priest Fleming Rutledge wrote, in the church, this is the season of Advent. It's superficially understood as a time to get ready for Christmas, but in truth, it's the season for contemplating the judgment of God. Advent is the season that, when properly understood, does not flinch from the darkness that stalks us all in the world. Advent begins in the dark and moves towards the light, but the season should not move too quickly or too glibly lest we fail to acknowledge the depth of darkness. As our Lord Jesus tells us, unless we see the light of God clearly, what we call light is actually darkness. How great is that darkness? Advent 
bids us all to take a fearless inventory of the darkness. The darkness without and the darkness within. So here we are, the season of Advent reaching its culmination. And this morning we just read the prophet Isaiah. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. This is vintage Isaiah. One of those passages we read every year during this season of Advent, holding on to the hope that Jesus will show up, his arrival. But in the middle of that scripture that we read just a few moments ago, there is a reference that at first seems like a rabbit trail. In Isaiah 9 verse 4, there is a reference to another person we don't always associate with Advent. We don't ever associate with Advent. Isaiah compares the coming of our Savior to the day of Midian's defeat, a reference that goes all the way back to Gideon in the book of Judges, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges. That's going way back to the beginning of God's people. We don't think of Gideon as we draw near to Christmas morning, but today we're gonna focus on that line, as in the day of Midian's defeat, which refers back to Judges 6 and 7, when Israel was being oppressed by the Midianites. Judges 6 verse 1 begins with a familiar line that's repeated throughout Scripture. The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, and God gave them over to the hands of their oppressors, the Midianites. Now, we could probably all come up with some great ideas of what evil looks like, what it means, what it is. But at the very least, evil is turning away from God, operating under our own power and our own strength in order to earn whatever it is we think we've got coming our way. And God is willing that we have our own way. So under the oppressive Midianite regime, the Israelites fled to the hills. They took shelter in caves. They were so impoverished that they cried out to the Lord for help, who heard their cry and he raised up another hero. And when we first meet Gideon, he is threshing wheat in a wine press, presumably in a cave up in the hills. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said in Judges 6:12, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon threshing wheat is like, me? And the Lord met Gideon's insecurity with these words in verse 14. Go in the strength you have and save Israel. Am I not sending you? Ultimately, Gideon responded. But at God's direction, Gideon's army was reduced from 32,000 to 300. God gave Gideon a ridiculous battle plan that involved playing trumpets and breaking glass jars with torches inside of them. And unbelievably, or not, God's plan actually worked. What followed after the jar pots were broken, chaos in the Midian army ensued. They turned on one another with their own swords and destroyed one another, Gideon and his army, 
merely held their ground at the perimeter and watched as the Lord brought victory and delivered them from their oppressors. Once again, Isaiah is speaking into his people, looking back. God's people are on the brink of disaster, on the verge of exile into Babylon, facing destruction. And Isaiah is connecting the dots with God's larger story, speaking into the present by leaning on God's faithfulness in the past, all the while holding out hope for the future. In the present tension, Isaiah is looking back to the time of Midian's defeat, remembering the story of a superhero named Gideon, which is a story that only God can write. At the same time, he's rehearsing the once and future arrival of the Son of God, Israel's King, the Christ child. For unto us a child is born. A long time ago in a quiet corner of the world, God stepped down into earth. Jesus was born in a stable, placed in a manger. He was vulnerable and dependent. He grew into a man experiencing hunger and pain. He laughed and cried. Jesus lived and died a brutal death, your death and mine. But death could not keep him. Hell could not hold him, and on the third day he got up. Jesus was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and when he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside of us to the one who lives inside of those who repent and receive this gift of salvation. We're talking about God's presence he dwells in the hearts of those who claim his name. From to us, a child is born. Church, this is the turning point of human history. And it is a story that only God can write. I've got a friend who, when he was about 16, he went out into the woods after school one day to go hunting. He grew up in rural Arkansas, and this camp that they belonged to was between school and home, and he had his rifle in his vehicle because he grew up in rural Arkansas. And so he stopped to hunt in the deep woods. He walked way out into the woods to the deer stand, and because it was a weekday, there was no one around. Well, eventually he got tired of sitting there, seeing nothing. And so he loaded up his gear and started to walk back. And as dusk began to settle in, he looked up. There in front of him was this trophy buck. So he slowly raised his rifle and he shot that deer, which ran off. And he thought, there's no way I missed that thing. And so he looked around and he noticed blood and he tracked that deer walked and walked, and it's getting dark. And so prepared for any and every emergency, he took the toilet paper out and started making a trail in the trees to find his way back to where he'd come from. He got to the end of his roll of toilet paper, and there was the trophy buck, only 
it was a spike buck with two horns. And isn't that just the way life is? The thing we think is the trophy always turns out to not be the thing we'd hoped that it was. Nonetheless, he grabbed the deer by the horn and starts walking back, and then he realizes it is dark. Couldn't see the toilet paper. Couldn't see his hand in front of his face. He was a people walking in great darkness. Have you ever been lost? Maybe as a child or in a foreign country? His parents didn't know where he was. He didn't know where he was going. And so he made the decision to sit on that deer and wait. And as panic and anxiety set in, he began to yell and yell and yell. And he fired off his gun into the air, hoping that someone would hear him. And he saved the final round for whatever it was he thought he was hearing in the bushes over there. It had rained earlier that day as a front moved through and he built a fire with the only thing he had dry on him, his lunch money, burning ones and fives to getting the kindling going to start the fire. And he's just sitting there for hours. And by now it's like nine or 10 o'clock and all of a sudden he hears this vehicle approaching his way and thinks that he can make out maybe headlights the vehicle stops what he would later learn was near his truck, and he sees a dimly lit flashlight approaching, and he hears the sound of his father's voice. John David. J.D. Walt said he started crying in that moment. And he shot his last round, and he started yelling, and he ran to the light. He said, never before I'd have been so glad to see my dad, nor him to see me. That is a story that only God could write. It sounds like the Christmas story. God sent someone to us, for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Church, for weeks now, we have been journeying through the darkness, moving towards the light of Christ. And I don't know about you, but just this past week, I began to feel blah. The Christmas blues, even. This morning, I think it's important and okay that we acknowledge the depth of darkness inside and outside of us. If you know anxiety and despair, if you feel like you're journeying through a season of darkness, if you feel the weight and heaviness of darkness on you, please hear me say that you are not alone. God stepped down into the darkness, bringing the light of Christ 
inside of him. This light that men and women hunger for, they long for, has come into the world, giving light and visibility for all to see clearly. That's the gift to you and me that Christmas is, and it's a story that only God can write. So Lord God, as we continue to journey through our own darkness, please give us eyes to see and ears to hear the light and love of Jesus that we might know it in our heart, not just in our head. That we might live that light and offer it to this world who is desperate for you to move. Come Holy Spirit, bless us this morning, this Christmas season with the light of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.